Hey, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing today? Um, if you don't happen to know me, my name is Jason Strand. I'm the worship pastor here at New Community Church. And if I haven't met you yet, I would love to do that after church. Uh, me and Pastor Aaron will be at the Connect Center back there. So please come introduce yourself uh, to me and let me shake your hand because I would love to get to know you. Um, man, it's an honor to be able to talk to you guys today. I'm usually up here leading worship, and today I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit about worship and, and what worship culture here needs to look like at New Community Church and, and just share some of that vision that God's been speaking to me. Um, I'm going to start with a story. Um, has anybody ever been out of the country before? Uh, whether it's on a mission trip or a business trip or vacation, uh, it can be a little, you know, uh, scary at times because you don't really know what to expect when you're experiencing, you know, another culture. Uh, the first time I ever did this uh, was the end of 2006. I went on my first mission trip to Honduras. Um, and I, this was actually a trip with uh, like eight or nine uh, of our youth leaders at, um, at uh, my previous church. And Pastor Spencer was actually on that trip. And um, so we were flying in. Uh, we flew into Gucigalpa International Airport, which is in Honduras. Um, and uh, this is actually a little video of it. It's actually through the power of Google later on. Uh, I, I found out this is actually one of the top five like most dangerous airports to land in in the entire world, which I'm glad I didn't know at the time. Um, I was already scared enough to be on an airplane. Uh, but it, this airport has a very short uh, airstrip, and it's surrounded by mountains. And it's a, it's a pretty hairy situation when you're flying into land and take off. So Pretty, uh, pretty crazy thing. So, you know, we've already been in two airports at this point in time. We left DFW, went to Miami, and then we went to Honduras. So, you know, you kind of think you know what to expect going into, going into an airport. But this one was quite a bit different. We pull in, we taxi uh, just a little ways, kind of pull up to the building, almost like we're parking or something. It's very strange. We all exit uh, down a, uh, a staircase on, right onto the tarmac and walk into the building. So we go in, we go through customs, uh, we go to baggage claims and go get our bags. And as we're pulling them off, this man who I have no clue who he is, not wearing any sort of uniform, no name tags, no nothing, just starts grabbing our bags and loading them onto this big cart. And we're just kind of like, okay, like go, we'll just go with the flow. I have no clue what's happening right now. Um, so he loads them all on and then he just begins to walk. And we're kind of like, uh, is he stealing our stuff? Like, I'm not letting my bag out of my side. I'm not spending the next seven days without a bag. Um, so we follow him. He, he walks maybe 25 feet through some double doors into the main waiting area of this airport. And in, almost immediately he stops and he sticks out his hand and, you know, tip, tip. So we're kind of like, oh, okay, so like we have to pay you for this service when all of our bags have wheels on them. Like I was totally capable of walking 25 feet. Um, so he's pressuring. And at this point in time, I'm not near as bold as I am now in a lot of ways. And so I'm, kind of, I'm freaking out. I don't even know how much my money's worth in this place. So I hand him a $5 bill and he acts extremely offended by this. Um, so no, more, more. He, he has doesn't know any English, but he knows how to ask me for more of my money. Uh, so I hand him another five. It appeases him, and he walks away. And this whole situation is just, oh, man, so much anxiety happening because we have no clue, like, if this is normal, if this usually happens, is this, like, something the airport does to people? And, you know, we're looking around, no, like, none of the signs are in English. Nobody knows our language. We don't know their language. Uh, you know, you look around, and there's police there. I've got a picture of these guys. 
They're terrifying looking. I don't want to approach this man to ask for any sort of directions or anything. His gun is almost as big as he is. And uh, they're wearing these like military style uniforms, not the most approachable guys in the world. They're not the Keith Johnsons. Where is Keith Johnson? Yeah. Keith Johnson's a pretty nice fella. I would be inclined to ask him uh, for directions, but not this guy. So anyway, our, our guides that are leading this trip show up. And immediately we're telling them what's going on. They're like, oh, man, you shouldn't have done that. Like, they look for people like you guys that look like they have no clue what's going on. And they sucker you out of some money. You essentially bought his lunch for the rest of the week with that $10. And um, just, you know, he, we, we got had, you know. And, um, but these guys, they knew the culture well. They had been there quite often. And um, they knew how to, you know, just explain to us, like, what was happening. Um, and that was very, we were glad about this because we leave there and we've already been traveling for six hours and we have another three hour van trip uh, into the place that we're going. So we stop at Burger King. That's what you do in Honduras, right? You stop at Burger King to have a hamburger. We're unloading, the, you know, getting out of the van and immediately we see a man walking around the side of the building. Once again, no, no uniform, no nothing, looking official with a pistol grip shotgun in his hand. Hands on the weapon. We're terrified. We're like, hey, we need to get back in the van right now. And our guides quickly tell us, no, this is actually, like, don't be scared. It, it is a little unnerving, but a lot of small businesses in this area, the police don't respond to, um, you know, crime like they need them to. So they'll hire just whoever has a gun to kind of guard their place. So they were easily able to kind of defuse the situation. And, and you know, we, we weren't as freaked out when we found that out. And they were able to help us understand the culture a little bit better. And it, you're probably wondering, like, how in the like, what in the world this, this has anything to do with worship? And um, at NCC, I'm sure you know this if you've been here, you know, any amount of time. We uh, have spent the last year really trying to define our culture, like who we are. We have all these statements in the in the hallway, and we have um, you know magnets for you to take home with you. These declarations uh, that we're making over our lives, and this is who we are as people because we are the church, right? So the church's vision is our vision, and we're you know we, we these are all from the Bible. These are all biblical things that we're declaring over our lives. And worship is one of those things we really need to understand a little bit better and understand. Like we desire to have a culture of worship here that that honor and worship just flows from us as people. Uh, it's not something we just do on Sunday morning. So we're going to talk about worship this morning, um, just because you know I, I'm sure many of you like maybe didn't even grow up in church. So you come in here on Sundays and you know we sing together. It's kind of like just tradition and that's what we do. Many of you uh, may have grown up in a church that um, didn't even allow music, you know, musical instruments in your church, or it was a very much more um, conservative style of worship, not as, not as expressive or whatever it looked like for you. Um, the Bible is clear what worship is, and we're going to talk about that today. I don't want to share any of my opinion uh, to you about worship. I want you to know what the Bible says about it. Because, um, you know, it's important, that, especially those of you that call this place home, that you understand the culture well, that you can be like those guides were for us. And, and when somebody's coming in here that's new, and they ask you, why in the world do we do this? Why do we sing together? Is this all it's about? Is it, you know, what is this that each and every one of us could explain, oh, this is why we do this? Because that's part of our culture. It's part of who we are as people. So we're going to look at uh, first at Genesis chapter 22. Um, this is on page 10. We have some Bibles um, in the seat backs. And if you don't have a Bible, please take one of those with you. That's our gift to you. We believe that the word of God is so instrumental in us growing and just knowing who God is in our lives. So take that with you. Uh, but if you're looking at that Bible, it's on page 10. Once again, Genesis chapter 22 and It's about Abraham and Isaac. And this is kind of a difficult story to share. Um, it starts off with Abraham. 
And his wife, Sarah, they, she's been barren most of her, you know, her, her whole life. And at the age of 99, ripe young age of 99, God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And I'm going to do that through a son that I'm going to give you. And his, his, your, he's going to be called Isaac. And it's funny because it actually says that Abraham like fell over laughing at God. Like, what? You, you have an intense sense of humor uh, that you're going to make me a father at the age of 99. I'm 33 and I have an eight-month-old and that requires a lot of patience uh, that I don't think I'll have 70 years from now. Um, but God fulfills this promise one year later and at the age of 100 years old. Um, Abraham, they, Abraham and Sarah have a, a son named Isaac. And this story takes place, um, scholars believe, maybe 15 to 18 years after this. So that's how old Isaac is at this point. And God um, has an interesting request uh, for Abraham. So we'll start reading in verse number one. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering as one of the mountains, or on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And we're going to stop right there for a second because there's something fascinating to me. Well, let me say this first. This is an interesting request. It doesn't make sense to a lot of us. Sacrifice was a fairly common thing back then. You know, a blood sacrifice was uh, how we approached the holiness of God. There was also, you know, many different, you know, groups that were um, following false gods and worshiping idols, and they were doing human sacrifice and, and things like that. And it was a fairly common thing, even though it sounds just like, what in the world? You know, why would you ever ask this? Um, but, and I want to make this clear too. God does not ask that of us any longer. Jesus was the final sacrifice, uh, that, to atone for our sins. We no longer have to make these blood sacrifices. We offer our, ourselves as a living sacrifice to him. But what's fascinating to me here between verse two and three is that there's nothing else. God tells him to do this. And even though it's difficult, like he, this was God's promise to him. This was Abraham, or Isaac was, you know, this blessing that God said, I, you know, I'm going to make you the father of many nations and I'm going to use this son. And now he's asking him to take him and offer him as a sacrifice. Probably makes no sense at all to him, but he trusts God. He has history with God. He loves God and believes, you know, no matter what, you know, this, this request looks like, he's going to follow him. And that's what's so fascinating. It doesn't say he struggled with it for days on end. It says God told him, and the next morning he got everything ready and he left. And that's just so fascinating to me. It, it should tell us something just about the level of obedience God's looking for in our lives um, and, and how quickly we respond and say yes. So on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So this is the very first time in the Bible that worship is ever mentioned, and it has nothing to do with Abraham singing a song. It has everything to do with his obedience and sacrifice, and um, that's really why I wanted to talk about this today. And we even see, you know, he says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. So even, you know, he knows God's asking him to sacrifice his son, but he's even still trusting, like, I, I know God's promises are true, so we're going to be coming back. And that's fascinating to me as well. Um, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hands the fire and the knife, and they went both of them together, and, Ab and Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. 
He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. So still, this probably doesn't make a lot of sense in his mind, but he's willing to say, God, I trust you. I trust you. I know the promises that you've made over my life, so I'm walking into this situation knowing that you're going to provide. So they came to the place uh, of which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So when Abraham spoke of worship, he was talking about making a sacrifice. He was talking about being obedient. He was showing God, that God was more important to him than anything with the way that he lived. So often we can do that with, our, you know, with the way we talk and God, you're number one in my life, but do we show it? Especially in this way that you know, like Abraham, no matter what God was asking him, he was willing to do it because he knew God and he trusted God. Abraham knew no matter how crazy this request was from God, that God's plan was better. He loved God and was fully devoted to him. He lived to worship no matter the cost and trusted in him, even when his request didn't make sense. His, his devotion was to God, not the blessings uh, that God had given him. And, you know, I notice that sometimes in my life when God blesses me with something that's good for me for a time, but then all of a sudden, man, it's, it's kind of taking place, uh, the, the place of him in my life, and I'm spending more time with that thing. And all of a sudden, that, that thing he blessed me with that was good at the beginning is no longer good. Are we willing to give that up when he asks us to because he's more important than that? He's a perfect example of what Paul talks about in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So he desires us to be a living sacrifice now. He, he's asking that we offer our lives in worship to him, not just a song, like so often we do, like, I, 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 we talk about this as a team a lot. I don't want the songs that we sing to not look like my life. So as we're going through these songs and we're picking these songs to sing together as a church, I, I, I take that opportunity to look at those songs and like, man, do I actually live this? Am I singing empty words? Am I proclaiming empty things when, I, when we sing together? And, I, and we want to, you know, like stay away from that as much as possible. Our lives need to look like the songs that we're singing. So God's desire is that he would be the most important thing in our lives, that we're completely devoted to him. So I just want you to think for a second, what, what, are, what are things in your life that you're withholding from him, that you're holding on to so tightly, and he's just saying, hey, let go of that, please, trust in me. Like, if Abraham can let go of his son, and let, me, let me make this point too, God didn't ask Abraham to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. You know, God sent his son as a sacrifice for us, willingly. So he wasn't asking Abraham to do anything, you know, outrageous that he wasn't willing to do himself. But what are the things in your life? Maybe, maybe it's your job. I hear this often that, man, our jobs run our life. 
that were always just looking to, you know, make a little bit more money or, you know, work a little bit more overtime or just achieve that next, you know, you know, status and get that next promotion. But in that, we spend so much time on our jobs and, and at our jobs that our relationship with God is so lacking. And, and, and it's, it's, it's really just not even there in a lot of ways. Or maybe it's friends or a relationship that God's saying, hey, for a time, I need you to step away from that person. They're not good for you. You, you need me. We need time together uh, for you to grow. And then, you know, maybe in the future or something like that, when, you know, are we willing to step away from those people that we love uh, because we love God more? Maybe it's our money, maybe it's um, status or just pride. You know, so often like we, we read these things in the Bible that, um, you know, this, this command to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them uh, to obey my commands. That's a, a command that we have, each and every one of us, but we're so timid about that and like, man, I, I don't want to do it wrong. And, you know, that's, that's not such a bad attitude. A lot of times we want to do it right and do it well, but so often we're afraid of messing up. So that's a big pride issue with us. We don't want to, you know, put our out there and, 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 and feel let down or, you know, maybe just the Holy Spirit, like you walk into the store and the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, go talk to that person. Go pray for that person. Just go share the love of Jesus with that person. And we either ignore it completely or we say, nah, like that's, that'd be really embarrassing if they respond in this way or whatever. We're not willing to let go of just that little bit of pride in our lives to say, God, I trust you. Lead me into this situation. You're not going to let me down. And uh, just trusting him like that. And even our family, this is a difficult one, but so often, especially as parents, we can allow our family to hinder us in our relationship with Jesus because I love my kids, but they can't be more important to me than, than God is in my life. If I'm constantly thinking about like, oh, I can't, I can't spend time with you, Lord, because I really need to spend time with them or I need to do this with them, my priorities are out of whack. I'm not going to teach them anything that's worthwhile if my relationship with God isn't solid in every day. And even more than that, how much, how much you know, like sometimes I'm afraid, like I can't really, I don't have a place that I can get up and worship in the morning because my living room is right next to my three-year-old daughter's room. But what a better way to show her what it looks like to follow Jesus than you know, too bad. I actually woke her up, you know, being loud and worship in the morning, and I allowed her to come in with me and, and, and worship with me. And uh, let's not let our family hinder us from, from our relationship with Jesus either. So are we getting the picture here? Worship is far more than a song. Paul says our true worship is our bodies presented as a living sacrifice, a life lived in extravagant obedience. And in James 14, 15, it actually, this is Jesus talking, says that if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So if we love God, if we love Jesus, we're going to obey the things that he tells us to do. It, it, it comes right along with that love if our love is true and it's not just words. So I want you guys to write this down. If you have something to write, you know, some notes down on. A life lived in obedience is a life lived in worship. And that obedience looks like probably so many different things in our lives because, you know, we have all these commands that God's given us in his word. And then we have these individual things that he's leading us to do in our lives. But a, a, a life truly lived in worship is a life of obedience, of saying, okay, yes, I trust you. I love you. Not just out of religious devotion. Be careful about that. We don't want to be legalistic. But God, I love you. I want to, I, I want to do what you're telling me to do. So no matter what he asks, we unflinchingly say yes because we love him. We're thankful for all that he's done for us, and we know that he has our best interests in mind. So we read God's word, and we do what it says. We feel the leading of the Holy Spirit and we follow willingly and our lives begin to look more like the songs that we sing. 
on Sunday mornings. And those songs even awaken and mean so much more to us because we can look at, I, I have experienced this. God, we're singing of your faithfulness, and I know about your faithfulness because I've seen that in my life. So that leads me to the next thing I really want to focus on this morning, and it stems right out of that, that life of obedience that we're talking about. Worship is our lives lived in obedience as a response to the goodness of God, and part of that obedience is singing to him. Part of that obedience is singing our praise to him. So often we, you know, when we think of worship, we think of this time together that we sing, uh, but it's so much more than that. It's, it's truly is a life lived in just utter obedience to what he's calling us to do, but part of that obedience is uh, that we sing praise to God. Uh, we can look into the Bible and you see the importance of this. There's over 400 references in the Bible uh, to singing praise to God, and there's 50 direct commands to do it. It's not just like, hey, if you're good at it, you, you should do this. It's like, no, my people worship me, and I want you to sing my, you know, sing his praise um, to him. And, you know, we have that command. There's actually a couple of times in the New Testament as well where we're commanded uh, uh, to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another when we meet. So this is a very biblical thing that we do when we get together and worship together on a Sunday morning or in our home groups or, or whatever that looks like. So singing is very clearly meant to be a big part of the follower of Jesus, but that's not true for a lot of us. Like I mentioned before, so often we think like, I'm just not into music that much. It doesn't really mean that much to me. And, or man, nobody wants to hear me sing. And that's a lie. God does. God does. You, to, you, to, you know, to, to your ears, you may not sound that great. To everyone around you, you may not sound that great. But to God, you sound amazing. And he wants to hear that from you. And he's just waiting for you to kind of let your pride down and say, okay, I'm going to do that, we, you know, especially today because we're, we're realizing that this is not just like an optional thing for us. He really deeply desires for us to do this, and he's commanded us to do it. So it's important that we do it. So we really need to begin um, just looking at, um, at this, you know, call to sing as a, as a spiritual discipline. You know, when we become a Christ follower, there's things that we, you know, we should do or whatever. And, and we begin to devote ourselves to them. Reading God's word. I was a big proponent of just like, ah, oh, I'm not a reader, man. Like, you know, that's, that's not for me. But if God gave us a book so that we can know who he is and know him well and know his promises and know his faithfulness, he made you to be a reader. So it's something where you have to say, okay, I know this is best for me. I, I you know, I'm, I'm going to devote myself to this and it's going to be a discipline that I learn. And the more we spend time with it, the more we love it. Cause you know, like it's, it's amazing. The same thing we need to look at, you know, with just singing praise to God. We, we need to look at our everyday time with the Lord and hopefully we're having time every day with God. Cause that, I mean, we need that. We, we're, we're fully dependent on him or we should be and start incorporating worship into that. And you know, it, yeah, continue to listen to it in your car and stuff like that. That helps with my mindset so often just uh, on being nice to people that are cutting me off or whatever. If I have worship music on, I'm far less likely to get you know frustrated with them. Um, but spend time alone with the Lord, just singing praise to him, worshiping. It doesn't matter how you sound, but you know, the cool thing is too, the more you do it, the better you're probably going to get at it. Um, so just make that part of your, your daily life. God has called you to sing. I believe that we, you know, if we begin to do this, we're going to see a level of intimacy with the Lord like we haven't seen before. Because, you know, worship greatly involves our emotions. You know, sometimes our prayer does and it stirs us up and, and different things like that. But when we worship God and we allow our emotions to be involved, it leads us into intimacy that we haven't experienced before with the Lord. And that's something we desperately need in our lives. 
Um, when we let go of our image, that pride that we're holding on to and begin to engage with the Lord, it really leads us into a new kind of intimacy and celebration like we haven't experienced before. And, you know, I believe that many of us have trouble doing this on a Sunday morning and coming in here and just like letting go of everything that happened this week and like working ourselves into a mindset where we can praise God because we haven't been doing it the rest of the week. We're, we're, you know, we're made to worship God every single day and sing praise to him every single day but we try to fit it all in on a Sunday morning in 20 minutes. And it's so unhealthy. It's the same, you know, sometimes we, you know, and I'm sure you've seen this on social media, like, man, I can't wait to get to church today just to hear God's word. I need a recharge or just to, just to get into worship because I need to be recharged. And God's called us to do that every single day. You know, he didn't, he didn't make it so that just Pastor Aaron was sharing the word with you. He wants you to dig in to his word and find out what it says. And, and, and we weren't made to just worship corporately. We were also made to worship individually. And it should be something that is part of our everyday life, just to sing to him. Yep. Can we put our hands together? What a powerful reminder this morning of, of the word of God. And I told Jason before I let him run off, I was going to come up here and interrupt him and, and do this. Jason, man, I'm so thankful for you. And, and I want our church to know that just the heart of worship that you have, just getting to know you over the past few years and just the way that you lead. And this morning you touched on that. We want to grow in that. And so I'm going to give you the opportunity. I want you to just maybe take a moment and just dive in a little bit deeper of what can we do corporately? You know, God's brought us together. We know that it's important that we're together and that we're singing. So what are things that you see, hey, we need to work on at NCC? And I don't want you to pull punches so you can step on some toes this morning. What is it that we need in our lives to continue to grow together corporately um, as we worship together? Okay, well, this may step on some toes, uh, but that's okay. We need that sometimes, right? Yep. Right? Um, so... One thing that we need to desperately work on is, you know, like, do we value this time together in worship on Sunday mornings? We have to be here for that. We have to be here on time for that. You know, it's, it's, it, it's one of those things where we're beginning worship on Sunday morning at 930 or shortly after because the host is up here. And, you know, we're beginning to celebrate all that God is doing together. We're going to enter into times of intimacy with him and stuff. And at the beginning of that, there's like 15 people in this room. And, you know, like, the, just to make it easy on you guys, we start at the same time every week. Um, <laughs> but uh, we have to be invested in this. We, ha You know, it has to be important to us. And I think that's going to change as we begin to make it a part of our everyday lives. And we have to engage. We have to sing. We have to lift our voices. Um, all of our worship, yeah, it's going to look different. But the thing that, that, that um, you know, is, is similar in all of us is that passion is seen in us and that we are lifting our voices. And that we're singing together so that when these new people come in here, you know, on a Sunday morning or whatever, they can easily tell who, uh, oh, you're a part of this because, you know, I can see that you're passionately involved in everything that's going on here. So it's important that we're here, that we're on time, and that we're engaged in what we're doing together. That's good. Hey, so just take, maybe take another moment because for some of us, this is new. I love that picture that you painted at the beginning. This is a new culture we're stepping into. Yeah. And for some of us, you know, it may not be that familiar. And so what's one thing that you think, hey, take this home, just start practicing this one thing this week to create that culture, that lifestyle of worship and begin to step into that. Okay. So. You know, we, I obviously want us to make singing a part of that, but uh, what that singing stems from is our obedience. So I want us to all say this together. Say yes. Yes. 
That's, that's, that needs to be our answer far more often to, to when God's leading us to do things. It has to be our answer. So in the morning, I want you to wake up and say, God, my day is yours. Like, I'm yours. Everything that I am is yours. Everything that I have is yours. Uh, it, it, it doesn't matter what it is. I don't hold anything back. And when you lead me to do something, my answer is yes. I'm not going to ignore you anymore. I'm not going to say no to you anymore. My answer is yes. And just say yes more. When he's calling you to do things, you can trust him. He's trustworthy, he's good, he's faithful, and he loves you.